What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Ride Share Rodeo, Uber Lyft Driver, and Gig Economy News. Sponsored by UberLiftDrivers.com, RideShareRodeo.com, with Para.com. I'm your host, SJ. Let's get it on. No, I don't know why, but I just realized that I probably did that backwards. <laughs> I probably should have done fade in music intro, fade out, then do my intro, and then move into the pieces. But um, we'll leave it that way for this week. Uh, just shows my uh, my uh, learning curve still happens, obviously. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, or if you've recently joined us um, in the and have listened to enough episodes to know um, my feelings on autonomous, although we really haven't discussed it too much lately, um, and that's only that um, true autonomous uh, is nowhere near being here. Um, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me, "Are you sure on this?" We keep seeing that it's. 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, 2025, um, we'll have uh, cars flying in the sky. Guys, these are so, these are just dates that are thrown out, even though the companies that are throwing them out are huge. I mean, we're talking about like the Ubers and things of that nature, uh, not only um, for licensing and uh, you know airspace rights and all that kind of stuff, but as we've seen with the uh, technology of autonomous cars, um, flying cars, this kind of stuff, most of the companies are being bought out by the bigger companies who have been doing this for quite a while. And if you really dive in and look, you'll find that those bigger companies... Um, like especially in the Elevate or VTOL, which is vertical takeoff and landing, um, that Uber tried to play a hand in for a little bit before it sold off the, uh, before it sold off everything that it was doing with that, so that it could get back to trying to earn a profit, a profitable quarter here. Those bigger companies are the ones that never have set a date. It's always these companies who enter and just want to be a player in the game. That are like, yeah, next year on January 17th at 4 p.m. we're going to launch. Uh, you don't know that. I mean, nowhere near, not only just getting it all legal-like, but you're nowhere near the technology. I mean, the biggest companies aren't. And so I want to start off this week by talking about um, a funny little story about, about Waymo. Um, you can go back in episodes. If you're not a listener who's heard previous episodes where I talk about autonomous, go back and find one. Uh, maybe I'll try and find one, a good one about in the linear notes on my feelings on autonomous. Uh, but, um, 
Yeah, I think I just kind of stated it. We're, we're nowhere near there. Well, anyway, um, Waymo does have 600 cars uh, that are out um, mostly in Arizona. Um, they've And it used to just be Arizona. Uh, but they have moved a few to California. Um, and this <laughs> last week was really one of the funniest things that uh, just like, you know, like everything colliding at once for Waymo. And many of you might be saying, oh, I know what he's going to talk about. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, because I'm going to talk about three things. And they came out within a day of each other. So and the, I don't know if I put them in the right order, but this is the order I'm going with. So the first story I'm going to tell you is if you did hear a story about Waymo last week, most likely what you heard was the story of the fully autonomous, um, driverless Waymo that uh, basically went rogue. So, okay, so um, Chandler, Arizona, um, the the a Waymo which had a passenger and 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 folks to be a passenger, you can't. You can't request a Waymo yet. You have to be in their um, non-disclosure agreement. Maybe you have to be an early investor or an angel fund, an, an angel investor, or uh, early funder or whatever. But somehow they have a selection process that isn't just like open to the public on who can take these rides. And some of these people take these rides um, almost daily. Now, there's one guy who has a YouTube channel, and I'm. There's a lot of long videos in there about Autonomous and his trips in Waymo. So it's definitely worth checking out if you're interested in that. But I'll, set an, I'll put a link into the linear notes specifically regarding um, uh, the video he did because he was in the car when I'm about to tell you the story. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so the Waymo vehicle... In Arizona, was driving. It ha- it saw some cones that were uh, showing to merge over from the right lane into the center lane, and the car had to take a right, r- like right after at the next intersection, and the cones were going off to the left about a half a block from that intersection, but you were still allowed to turn right from the center lane, so. The Waymo couldn't figure out what that meant, and so it was driving up to the cones, and instead of merging left, it just stopped. And then it actually did a little maneuver to try and get between two cones, and then it just and, and it got stuck sideways, and it it just stopped. So the guy sitting in the car in the back, um, Nothing was too sudden. It was just a very odd situation. Now the car's sitting idle near this intersection. So the car didn't recognize that the cones meant uh, merge over to the left. You'll still be able to make your right, but right now this is roadworks and hey. And so um, they actually had to had to call for uh, the, ro- the roadside assistance Waymo team, which you got to understand, guys, they very rarely go out. These trips are 
usually, again, they're usually the same type of people um, or angel investors or people who, who do it like this guy's YouTube channel that I'll put in the notes. Um, but they're usually these people who do it every day on the same trip. Uh, going to and from a place or something, or like a, a back route to the airport type thing, um, things of that nature where the route isn't changing too much. It's not, and you're not in there screwing around with it, trying to say, oh, never mind, I don't want to go there, I want to go here. It's not like that. It's it's more of like a set route. So the roadside assistance team usually doesn't have to come out on hand. Um, other than this situation, I really don't know of one. Usually. It's just, you know, a car malfunction or something that they've had where they just have it towed back, okay? And I think that's initially what they were going for here. However, the roadside assistance team arrived to the scene, and, you know, maybe they were just planning on, you know, loading it up, turning it off, loading it up, towing it. However, this Waymo specifically... um, kind of shows uh, maybe the scarier points of what we've all thought all along about AI. Um, AI has its place. However, um, do we want machines uh, automating people's jobs on assembly lines and things like that? Um, Because not only does it take away the job, but in this case, when the uh, roadside assistance team from Waymo showed up, this car went rogue, and um, it. Let me let me see if I can find the exact. Uh, okay, so uh, when the roadside assistance team uh, did arrive, the they approached the car. They were gonna you know shut it down and and try and get it out of there, just tow it or whatever they do. Um, and the car. Uh, sprang into motion, even though it was still stuck in the position where it was confused. And again, it drove down the road before stopping uh, at an intersection, blocking three lanes of traffic. So you got to imagine this car is coming down the road. It gets stuck between two cones and then it kind of tries to make a left understand after the cones trying to think get out of there um and then it waits the 10-15 minutes till the assistance crew gets there when they get there it it kicks back on and tries to evade them almost and it goes down another you know uh three blocks basically like somebody outrunning the police but there's no driver okay and um, I'm sorry to laugh at this. It's just this is a pretty extreme example of how far we really are from this. But anyway, it 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 gets about three blocks, hits a red light. So when it first takes off, you know, it gets out of the cone area, and it's a green light. It goes. Another green light. It goes. Then it approaches the third intersection, and it's a red light. So it makes a hard left turn again, and it blocks all three of the lanes. And they had to use emergency shutdown procedure. Um, again, folks, I will put the link up because it's, you know, it's it's good to know where we're at. And if you haven't heard my previous episodes, I've said we need to have a city in the desert somewhere where all autonomous companies pitch in to create a fake city. You know, um, 
pop-up people, things that might just jump out, weather conditions that can change, something, even if it's in some kind of dome or something, um, and also where things can be shut down immediately. Uh, but however, even though these have killed a few people, we keep putting them back out on the road. So very weird. Um, one of the main sources, I think one of the original sources of this story was from the verge. In fact, I think they were the original story. However, if you, if you were to Google, uh, Waymo, uh, Waymo vehicle goes rogue you would find every like all kinds of major tech news publications like TechCrunch, Mashable, um, you know, uh, the the Verve, the Verge, uh, all all of those you're gonna auto blog are gonna have this story, um, but I think it did originate there. However, I will put the link up now. Here's uh. Here's the here's the issue that I think is almost even funnier than the rogue story. Okay, so this all within 24, I think it's 24 hours of each other. Three stories came out regarding Waymo. Now, one of them also um, in, involves Cruise, but we'll get there. So that's what happened. That's a problem. And the guy who, uh, who, who, who uses this service every day, he also, and whose link I'll put up, he also has, he, he videos every day. So Waymo must, it's a non-disclosure. I don't know how exactly it works. He's got a YouTube channel. He puts all the videos up. So you can watch even the days that go good or just what goes kind of wrong. Um, like I said, they're all pretty long videos, but you can scroll through them and find ones that you might like uh, and, and might be interested in. However, this is the one that you really need to watch. Uh, I think the full video is about 30 minutes, so I'll put it up in the links. It's up to you. Now, within the same 24 hours, or I'm going to just say 30 to be safe. Within the same 30 hours of this happening, uh, U.S. Uh, labor leaders... Um, call call for human drivers in autom- in all autom- automated vehicles. So all autonomous vehicles are back to square one. Must have a driver in the car. Now, why? You know, I know that we had the you know the person killed in Ari- we had the person killed in Arizona, and the, you know that's still a court case ongoing to the driver who was in the car to stop the car if there was an issue because, you know, depending on what you know about this, the, you know, their Uber won't pick up the bill or Waymo because it was, uh, the person was on the phone, um, when they killed the person crossing the road, uh, or was texting and sitting in the front seat. And so, and if you watch the video, you can see them do this, However, um, the LIDAR completely failed. It didn't notice a person pushing a bike across the street in, in the evening hours in Arizona on an empty road. And that's pretty crazy um, in itself. But it wasn't, you know, and then something, and then the Pittsburgh incident. And then 
issues with autonomous vehicles and just we're just not there. But then they start getting these approvals to be in live cities without drivers in them. And this is where I get a little weirded out because build a city in the desert by nobody and let's do this responsibly. This is not responsible to have cars driving themselves who can think for themselves outside of the parameters of what's programmed to them. Um, So I'm really glad that U.S. labor leaders are, even though the one incident had a person texting, um, maybe don't pay that person so crappy. You know, pay somebody very well and don't let them have their cell phone in the car, you know, and and get people to do shorter shifts so that while you're testing, if you need to be testing in a live city, because, you know, maybe an eight-hour shift of of being the autonomous uh, person who hits the brake if it fails Maybe that gets um, a little too tedious, so maybe four-hour shifts. I, I don't know the solution to that, but I am happy the U.S. labor leaders all together said no more, pulled the plug on that. I thought it was one of the dumbest moves when they said human drivers weren't needed anymore. I was like, why? These things don't work. They've killed people. They're being operated in cities. Now, again, within the same 30 hours, just to be safe, Another story surfaced, and this one is Waymo and Cruise seek permits to charge for for autonomous car rides in San Francisco. Now, (laughs) I mean, again, guys, I had three stories totally different from one another, all, you know, if we take Cruise out of this headline, it's, again, Waymo. So all three are Waymo. This one involves Cruise. So let's just pretend, even though they are, so don't, that's why I'm mentioning it. Cruise is in here. But the order I took it in was, um, this is a 30-hour news cycle. Waymo car in Arizona goes rogue or has issues with, with traffic cones, stops, blocks traffic. When its uh, road assistance team gets there, it takes off and gets through a couple green lights to a red light, turns left and blocks all three lanes. And so it went rogue and just took off. After that, the U.S. labor leaders, who probably the same ones who okayed not humans not having to be in the autonomous vehicles, recalled that and said, no, 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 we're, we're putting them back. You guys are not going to do this anymore. Now, also, Waymo and Cruz. But Waymo was asking the city of San Francisco for a permit to be able to charge people to ride in driverless autonomous cars. So (laughs) you do the math. I don't know. Hopefully everybody caught that because it was one of the, I mean, just, it's just almost dumb to even say it out loud. It just sounds stupid, but, (laughs) um, Moving forward. Now, this is a story that will probably very much upset everybody. And I know it always feels like I'm picking on Uber. But hey, guys, I don't make this stuff up. I pick on Uber only when Uber decides to do stupid things. And this one really was over the top. So um, this is Atlanta News from last week. Uber is apologizing and taking action after a transgender driver says the ride ha- the rideshare service removed her from the platform 
over complaints about her gender. Now, a lot of people might be thinking, you know, almost like passengers looking for free rides. Like, is that really what happened? Um, but, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to play a piece in a second, but also, uh, the, the driver, the transgender driver called and recorded the call with Uber and said, you know, uh, uh, what made it valid to deactivate me? This is after she's done the emails and whatever to try and get back on the platform. Um, and the rep can be heard telling the transgender gender driver, uh, so many riders were complaining about the situation about your gender. Damn. I mean, hold on, people. I mean, that's, that's an Uber rep saying that they were getting complaints about the situation about your gender. And they took them off the platform. Let's give a listen. Getting an apology from the company after she says the rideshare removed her from the platform because she's transgender. Well, the company reinstated that driver after Channel 2's Mike Pachenik started asking questions about that. He's live in Dunwoody, and Mike, the driver, still has concerns. She does, Linda. For more than a year, she was out here on the road, unable to pick up Uber fares because of what she says was blatant discrimination. But she reached out to me. She had a phone recording with an Uber representative that raised some red flags. I shared it with the company. It raised some red flags for them, too. What made it valid to deactivate me? Uber driver Ty Ruth recorded this exchange she had with a company representative after she learned the rideshare app had removed her from its roster. Here was the rep's explanation for it. So many riders were complaining about uh, the situation, about your about your gender. Ruth is a transgender woman. I always knew I was a female when I was younger growing up. And she says she's endured discrimination along the way, but never like this. I just think it was just really just downright nasty. You know, it was crude. I mean, you're going to mess with someone's income. I reached out to Uber about the phone call and the removal. They sent me a statement that says, quote, What's been reported is extremely concerning, and we apologize for the driver's poor experience. The information the customer service agent relayed to the driver was incorrect, and after investigating further, we have reactivated the driver's account. We are concerned third-class citizens. Ruth says she's watching as nearly three dozen states, including Georgia, are proposing anti-trans legislation. Lawmakers killed several proposed bills last legislative session. We're not in Saudi Arabia. We're not in other countries that would stone you to death for being who you are. We're in America. And it just scares me. Now, Ruth is now driving again for Uber, but she says over this past year or so, she believes she lost upwards of sixty dollars to $80,000 in fares. Again, Uber reiterated that this is not in concert with its policy. So I don't know how you all feel about hearing that. Um, to me, uh, pretty straightforward stuff. I mean, that's, wow. And I'm surprised that more mainstream news isn't going on around this because that is, I mean, this should be more than just reinstating her to the platform, in my opinion. And I'm not a big guy about, you know, going out there and making lawsuits where, they're not needed. However, um, 
I don't know. If I was this person, I would absolutely take Uber to the table for that one. Um, yeah, enough said. I was just wrong. So another thing we're seeing here, um, specifically with Postmates employees, uh, I've talked to a few around the country who, since the merger with Uber, and it's been a while now. I mean, it's, you know, what was that? Uh, Uber acquired Postmates in December. I think it was December. In December. And uh, that was all because the Grubhub merger didn't go through. Grubhub was the one they wanted. Um, Postmates is what they got. Now, Postmates, uh, many Postmates drivers have uh, have been having issues getting onto the Uber platform. They've received emails saying that they'll be able to be on the Uber platform once approved, once approved, which is just basically re-onboarding. Um, and many are finding that they're not getting brought back on. Now, some of them are, and not by some, I mean, you know, a decent amount. So I don't know, maybe Postmates had a different standard. Um, but, um, uh, some of them are, are traffic violations or criminal histories. Those are being denied to drive the app altogether. And that, you know, that's fine. That's, that can be Uber's, uh, if, if that is, if Postmates and Uber didn't sync up there, of course, they're not going to re-onboard you onto that one. So, um, but it goes also to show something that, you know, Postmates was purchased for, Two and a half, let me look at this real quick, 2.65 billion uh, dollar deal um, by Uber. So obviously it's pretty clear that during the pandemic, why Uber wanted to buy Postmates or originally Grubhub because consolidation was key, especially when during this pandemic when food delivery and on-demand uh, food delivery services are were skyrocketing but this isn't just uber if you if, if any of you um haven't been fully paying attention to this uh let's see the consolidation of the uh food services has actually been going on for eight years i know it's hard to believe that eight years has gone by and the food delivery things have been around because as a couple of weeks ago, I talked about with uh, Jason Thierry from the Gig Economy podcast on our show. Um, it was our year anniversary show. He, you know, he was, we were talking about how really until the pandemic, you know, food delivery was just wasn't there. So it was almost like a hit and miss thing of startup companies seeming not to make it. And yeah, Uber Eats had entered the arena and a couple others, but they weren't doing well before the before the pandemic. Now, going back eight years, we've been seeing consolidation of these companies since eight years ago. There was a company called Seamless um, who was uh, who was bought out by Grubhub, and that was that was eight years ago. Um, and Grubhub was just recently bought by Just Eat. Now, Just Eat is huge over in the UK. Um, they're making their way here. So, obviously, the Grubhub deal that didn't go through with Uber uh, 
was straight up because Grubhub was already in talks with Just Eat as well. Um, now, Just Eat is a European food delivery company, um, and they bought Grubhub for oh man, six billion or seven no seven seven point three billion. Now, um, they will be bringing Just Eat to the states, but they also now have Grubhub integrated with Just Eat over in Europe, and they uh, have the 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 stake in Grubhub here in the states. Now, DoorDash in 2019 acquired Caviar, which was actually Caviar, if you remember, was actually having a really strong startup, um, just as when um, Just Eat wanted Grubhub. Grubhub had a unique platform that worked a lot better from people I've talked with who do this all over the country. Uh, Grubhub was a lot easier to use pre-pandemic, and it provided more money to the drivers. Now it's like that's the one that isn't used so much. It's more Uber Eats and especially number one DoorDash. Well, DoorDash acquired Caviar in 2019. um, And again, Uber only bought Postmates because Grubhub sold to Just Eat. So I don't think that Uber had the right price tag on buying Grubhub. And they were thinking Grubhub would come down, Just Eat, met the price tag, bought it. But as you can see, we've seen a lot of these merge. Um, But now, yeah, I mean, we we really haven't heard stories like this, but it shouldn't be that big of a shock unless we learn the numbers of people not being brought over from Postmates to Uber is for another reason other than it just violates Uber terms of service and background checks, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's fair, you know, it's, um, you know, one company has a way of doing it. Another company has another way of doing it. Now, what the Uber app says about the Postmates merger is that the app disqualifies drivers with either one recent driving, one recent major driving uh, violation or multiple recent minor driving violations. Um, Now, uh, Uber uses a background check company called Checker. I don't know if you're all familiar with that. It's spelled C-H-E-C-K-R. That is who checks the backgrounds of all of the drivers who are onboarded for Uber. It's called Checker. and uh, and they are dealing with this now too because Postmates is Uber now, and so I don't know if they're readapting some of that or if Uber has gotten with Checker and said, "Listen, you know, for our onboard for the re-onboarded people from Postmates, um, you know, let's do this." But it seems like Uber's sticking to their guns on this one, and uh, for that, um, I actually don't have a problem. Um, this is one of those rare times I will give Uber a quarter thumbs up. So in the course of one second, let's flip it over to where Uber does not get any thumbs up. And let's move across the pond, not to London this time, but it does affect the uh, your it does affect Europe um, 
So let's move to Amsterdam for a minute. October 2020, the App Drivers and Couriers Union, ADCU, filed a legal action against Uber Technologies for the dismissal of drivers by an algorithm in the United Kingdom and Portugal. So um, the claims were brought under Article 22 of the General Data Protection Regulation. The driver's complaints related to dismissal resulting from, among others, Uber system detections of irregular trips associated with fraudulent activities in one case, and the installation and use of software with the intention of an effect of manipulating the Uber driver's Uber's the Uber's driver app in another case. The drivers were dismissed, given no further explanation, and denied the right to appeal. The court was asked to determine to what extent the general data protection uh, regulation, the GDRP, could protect individuals from unfair automated decision-making. Specifically, individuals have the right to certain protections from automatic automated decisions which create negative effects but are carried out with meaningful human interaction. Okay, so that didn't happen. So on April 14th of this year, 2021, the Court of Amsterdam ordered that Uber Technologies reinstate drivers dismissed by an algorithm in the UK. So basically, um, you know, the... I couldn't find anything on the facial recognition that we talked about a few weeks ago with our with our driver uh, friend over in London about the facial recognition. That's what I was kind of searching for when I ran across this. But this is a very interesting article because um, the algorithm. If you choose, if, if if you listen to that episode with more at episode fifty one of the podcast, you heard that the algorithm tries to default you to uh, facial recognition. And I'm not talking about what we have in here in the States where you can just duct tape your mouth shut to say you have a mask on or whatever. I'm talking about like the, the digitized kind, the one that they're using from Microsoft that doesn't work. Shocker. Um, but so it defaults to that in London and it wants to use that. It wants to say, uh, you know, if you want to go online, you know, verify that you're you. Well, we learned that that facial recognition has uh, issues with people of color um, and women and other issues. Um, it's not reliable. And so I was looking for an article about that, or I was looking into some stuff about that when I ran across this. And this kind of will start, I believe, start to bring in... Um, those cases about people who are kicked off the platform for facial recognition. Uh, so basically, you know, one way of Uber maybe of starting to avoid um, Uber, more ad. And I talked about this in London is that maybe they're starting to tell people, Oh, it's not you. Facial recognition didn't get you. And if you didn't hear that episode, you get one strike, you don't get two or three, you get one and no appeal. So if you if you don't if if 
And I didn't tell you the other option, sorry. Um, the other option is if you scroll down and don't accept the default, there is an option to have uh, to be telephone verified. And you get a robocall, and it asks you to read your last four of your social, maybe a couple other number uh, issues, th- uh, questions, and then you're on the road. It doesn't even use the facial recognition. So... Um, but people are being deactivated left and right. I think that this uh, regulation 2016 dash uh, or backslash 679 in the EU, Article 22, the General Data Protection Regulation, will actually apply to that as well. And I'm kind of waiting to see because after I saw this, I was like, well, wait a minute, that's going to bring all the deactivated drivers in London back. And we all know why, obviously, why Uber would be going after not just one, two, three, four, but by the hundreds of drivers in London to deactivate. Um, because now they're, they don't have employee status, but they have worker status, which gives them a lot more rights and floor payment and all the things um, that that applied to. You know, the I don't know. The the big issue here will become Uber will find another way to get rid of these people. Also, they made a big move in Europe. As soon as that appeal, uh, or as soon as their final appeal lost to this in the Supreme Court to classify drivers as employees, not as independent contractors in London. The judge found, you know, it it had been appealed a few times, but this is the Supreme Court of London. The judge found a unique settlement, which was worker status. Now, we're all going to have to see how that plays out. The beginning hasn't sounded like it's going to be a maintainable or feasible platform for very long. So we'll see what changes Uber makes because um, right now they are doing... Uh, they're, they're, they're finally living up to it, but it's, I can't see it lasting. Um, but obviously they want to get rid of people by the droves. One way that they did that was during the pandemic, they said that, uh, if, so if you hadn't drove in, I think it's two or three months, maybe even less, I think it, I think it, no, it was two, maybe it was two months. It was two months. uh, If you haven't driven in the last two months, and the EU decision when it happened a month ago or six weeks ago, when that happened, if you hadn't driven in the last two months, you had to re-onboard with Uber. So if you went to if you went to click I want to drive because you saw the EU decision, if you hadn't been driving during the pandemic and especially the last two months, and I think it was even a certain number of rides, it just said, uh, please call customer support. Um, your account is is suspended. So you would call and they would say that you need to re-onboard. Basically, you need to go through the whole process again of applying for the app. And obviously what that means is they'll turn you down. Um, But you could no longer drive under the account you had. Now here in the United States, unless you specifically call Uber and tell them, hey, remove me, I don't want to drive, no, I don't. Well, you you know, keep the if, if Uber were to respond, no, keep the app. You don't you don't have to drive, but it's there if you ever need it. That is their common response here in the states because they want every driver they can, even if they're not 
active. But um, obviously, uh, over there, they just made that a rule as soon as as soon as that happened. Uh, here in the United States, if you drove for Uber four years ago, stopped for a year, drove for him for six months, and haven't driven for him since, you can turn on today and start driving again as long as your registration, insurance, and driver's license are up to date and as long as you haven't been kicked off the platform. But so as long as you've driven for him, and even if you just haven't used it, you can go right back to driving. But now, and that was the case in Europe too, but as soon as they passed this, that became not the case. So that's something to think about for ProAct and and AB5 people. Um, again, flex hours will be affected by, um, by, by AB5 if it keeps pushing the prop the proposition 22 push that exempted them, um, you will, it will go to a point of, Hey, you didn't do enough rides in the last two months, or you haven't turned on your, your app in the last two months. So you have to re onboard. Of course, they're going to go to that along with taking away flex pay. So, um, you know, I, I've always said this, I follow a lot of, um, uh, UK, stuff that's going on with rideshare as well, because I think that a lot of times they're ahead of us doing the same type of things that we're doing. The drivers, you know, fighting for rights. They get, they fought for having the right to have all their data before we did everything. So, um, yeah, uh, we'll see, but I, here's my thing is that I think that that's coming here as well. And on the same note, uh, Ola is now offering electric rides, electric vehicles in London. Um, you know, Ola from India, it, the Indian, uh, ride hailing firm, um, is, and, and, and here's a kicker over there in, in London, Ola charges London drivers a rate of 15% of the take on the total fare while Uber in the UK takes 25% um, plus cut. Now I know we all here in the United States here, 25% plus, and we know that that's been as high as 50, 60. There are limits in the UK where I believe even during like any kind of surging or anything of the nature, they can't go above 30% or 35%. So they have a lot better standards than we do here in the States on how that can work. And again, that might be a fix to a lot of the problems too, people, um, about trying to fight for employee status instead. Fight for the cut of the, of the, um, of the total fare the customer pays and let's, you know, it, it seems like a much better fight to fight for the percentage that these companies can take and lock it down. When I, when I started, uh, six years ago, almost seven years ago, mine was locked into 10% and that actually used to work. So they were only taking 10% of the fare. Now this is when it was first coming to Denver and, um, I was busy all the time and, you know, it just, it was great. But that obviously changed. It went to, um, it, it went to fifteen percent. But I had turned on a couple of people uh, 
while I was at 10% to to Uber and they were brought in at 15. So some people were being brought in at 15 about six months before mine changed because I was, I was an OG, (laughs) but, um, yeah, so Ola's there. They're taking only 15% of what, of what, of the total, uh, fare paid by the customer and Uber is taking 25 to 35, let's call it in London. I'm not sure exact of the cap, but they do have that. Um, also, uh, we have Uber driver Bolt, who I've talked about before in the past, and I really, really like Bolt. I think they're great. Um, you know, this guy who started it up is like one of the youngest, what is he, millionaire or billionaires in um, in Germany or whatever part of Europe he's from. Um, but I just don't have it in front of me, guys. But now they are launching in London. So we're going to have Ola and Bolt competing with Uber, who's now under a lot of strain because of this new uh, Supreme Court ruling. So we're going to be following all this because, like I said, a lot of times things happen over in the UK, and then they start trickling this way. So all of this is expected to head this way in my book. Um, But that's just an update over there. I I thought that was of interest. And uh, I thought that the ruling in Amsterdam, which is a year is, you know, EU and affects the UK and obviously a Portugal driver as well. Um, I think that's I think that's very interesting. And I think that uh, it will make an important uh, piece in, in everything going on. Sorry about my folk, uh, my voice tonight, folks. Uh it is, it's way hoarse. Sorry about that. Um, or else maybe you like it. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow, it would be easier for me to talk like that. Um, just today. Uh, the last thing we're going to talk about tonight is the PRO Act. Okay, we've talked about it before. We knew that with Biden coming in, he had made, you know, he's made a lot of promises on both sides of the aisle. So, when you do that, um, and again, this isn't a political thing, you know, this isn't pro-Trump, this isn't pro-Biden. This is just anti-promising both sides of the aisle you'll do something. Because Joe Biden's finding himself in quite the dilemma right now. Um, I'm going to play a little piece on the on the PRO Act that I think is a, is a good piece to listen to. However, beforehand, I just want to say that, um, you know, Biden made it clear that he was going to make it easier uh, to to become an employee rather than an independent contractor. Um, now, this was following the AB5 law that passed in California, which had, it became AB2257, had Prop 22 to exempt almost all, so many things, um, again, just showing how, you know, really not put together well this whole AB5 movement was. But now Biden wants to adopt it in full with the biggest problem it has, the ABC test. Now, I'm not going to get into it because the piece I'm about to play uh, will get into it. But then I'm going to come back on the other side 
And I am going to tell you why this will be a huge problem for Biden moving forward. Because, um, well, let's play the piece and I'll come back. There's a new bill in Congress that would radically change what types of jobs you're allowed to have. It's widely supported by unions as a way to protect workers. But for millions of non-union employees and freelancers, it could end their careers faster than saying something mildly offensive on Twitter. Last month, the House of Representatives passed the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, or the PRO Act. It has President Biden's support. I've long said America wasn't built by Wall Street. It was built by the middle class, and unions built the middle class. Unions put power in the hands of workers. They level the playing field. They give you a stronger voice for your health, your safety, higher wages, protection from racial discrimination and sexual harassment. Unions lift up workers, both union and non-union, and especially black and brown workers. Biden has promised to be the most pro-union president you've ever seen. And the PRO Act is a big part of that. The PRO Act amends the National Labor Relations Act. That's the federal law that governs the collective bargaining relationship between companies and unions. But the law has its critics, like the left-leaning Economic Policy Institute, which supports the PRO Act. It says the National Labor Relations Act has weaknesses that can easily be exploited by anti-union employers and the union-busting consultants they hire. The PRO Act tries to fix that by making it easier for the government to fine companies for interfering with unions. Unfortunately, this law is limited to America, so the elf unions at the North Pole still have to struggle against the tyranny of Santa Claus. He knows when they are sleeping, on the job, the PRO Act also overturns the right-to-work laws in 28 states. Right-to-work laws allow anyone to work for any company that will hire them. The laws prevent unions from requiring that all workers join the union in order to get a job. Now that gives workers more freedom, but it also creates what's called a free rider problem. Unions still have to represent everyone, even if some of those workers don't pay membership dues. And that hurts unions and makes them less effective at representing workers. Right-to-work laws also allow companies to hire workers that unions don't think are qualified, like workers who don't meet certain skill requirements. There's a lot of pushback against the PRO Act, especially when it comes to how it defines freelance workers and independent contractors. That's determined by what's called the ABC test. The ABC test was created in the 1930s to do things like improve factory conditions for workers. Yeah, it's a bit antiquated. Factories no longer look like this. They look like this. <laughs> no, that's so 2019. A lot of factories today look like this. And yes, there are still physical factories, but only until they all become like this. Andrew Yang tried to warn us. And that's part of the problem. The type of work people do has changed a lot since the 1930s. The ABC test is a way to figure out if a worker is an employee or an independent contractor. The idea was to stop employers from misclassifying employees as independent contractors, just to save on employment costs. 
Things like payroll taxes, health insurance, paid leave, and stolen office supplies. Which reminds me, I'm out of staplers. The ABC test starts by assuming everyone's an employee and not an independent contractor, unless A. The worker is not under the business's control. B. The worker is not doing a job that is part of the main business of the employer. And C. The worker has other clients that they do the same work for. You have to meet all three to be an independent contractor. So for example, if a newspaper hired a plumber, he would be an independent contractor. But if the newspaper hired a freelance writer, he would have to be an employee because writing is part of the main business of a newspaper. California already put the ABC test into law last year by considering gig workers employees. Biden praised California for it during his 2020 campaign. He also praised California for its raisins, saying, if you don't vote for me, you ain't purple. That reference is so old, it's actually plausible Joe Biden said it. During Biden's campaign, he promised to work with Congress to establish a federal standard model on the ABC test. And with the PRO Act, Biden is trying to make good on that promise, unlike his promise for a $2,000 stimulus check. This is why I have to steal office supplies. But a lot of freelance workers are worried. They fear that the pro-union bill could kill their careers. Supporters, however, argue that the PRO Act will not destroy the gig economy. This does not mean independent contractors and freelancers would no longer exist. The PRO Act would just prevent employers from unfairly trying to misclassify workers, keeping them from having a collective voice. House Education and Labor Committee Chair Bobby Scott says that anyone who claims that the bill would mean the end of freelancing or restrict workers' flexibility is either mistaken or deliberately misrepresenting the facts. Yeah, what makes gig economy workers think that the ABC test would kill their careers or restrict their rights? What's that, Shelley? Oh, because the ABC test in California has done exactly that. Last year, California enacted a law called AB5. It reclassified workers as employees based on the ABC test. And a lot of people in California lost their freelance work after. From translators, to musicians, to actors, to the guy that rubs baby oil on the rock before taking his Instagram pictures. Left-leaning Vox Media praised California's AB5 law when it was passed, calling it a victory for workers everywhere. And then, Vox cut hundreds of their writers because they didn't actually want to hire those freelance writers as full-time employees. So it was a victory for workers everywhere. Unless you were working for Vox. The fallout from AB5 got so bad that California lawmakers decided they had to fix it. Not by repealing AB5, no, but by passing even more laws. Their logic was essentially, how are we going to get out of here? We'll dig our way out. No, no, dig up, stupid. First, they passed AB 2257. It made certain independent contractors exempt from the law, allowing writers and many others to freelance again. And then, voters passed Prop 22, 
which allowed Uber and Lyft to continue to treat drivers as independent contractors, which was bad for the full-time drivers who wanted to be treated as employees, with paid vacation and so on. But it was good for part-time drivers who were able to keep driving to make extra cash on the side, until their DJ career takes off. Any day now. Even with all the changes, a lot of freelancers aren't able to take advantage of the exemptions. So a lot of people still find AB5 rotten to the core and say it should end completely. The problem with the ABC test is the B part. See, freelance writers, musicians, actors, and others fail the B part because they perform a service in the usual course of the business that hired them, not outside of it. Think of the freelance writer at a newspaper. That's why the B part of the test is impossible to satisfy. This makes employees so afraid of violating the B part that they simply stop hiring freelancers altogether, leaving the freelancers shouting, Son of a B! That's what Fox Media did. Except after firing hundreds of freelance writers in California, Fox just hired new freelancers in other states where the AB5 law didn't apply. Ah. So it really was a victory for workers everywhere outside of California. Hearst is one of the largest magazine publishers in the world. It told writers in states with the ABC test that they couldn't contribute to their publications anymore, which was bittersweet for a lot of freelancers, knowing their work was rejected because of the law instead of the usual reason. Their writing was trash. But if the PRO Act passes, that's nationwide. So what are these media companies going to do? If they can't hire American freelancers, they're going to have to find writers in India, or even worse, Canada. Of course, for freelancers who are already working a 9-to-5 type schedule, the PRO Act would be helpful. It would force companies to treat them as employees and give them benefits. But what about stay-at-home parents who only want part-time work while their kids are at school? What about full-time workers who do extra freelancing on the side to supplement their income? And what about the guy who rubs baby oil on the rock? And like the rock, the PRO Act could affect women especially hard. Research by the IRS shows that women account for approximately 55% of the total increase in the number of independent contractors from 2001 to 2016. That's why the PRO Act has been called an attack on female independent contractors by the Libertarian Pacific Legal Foundation, a menace to liberty by the Libertarian Cato Institute, and, hilarious since it doesn't affect me, by that scoundrel Santa Claus. And a lot of conservatives don't like the PRO Act either. Ultimately, this is about freedom, the freedom to engage in the economy as independent contractors, it's about empowerment, about fostering the entrepreneurial spirit our nation was built upon. The PRO Act ABC test would impose a one-size-fits-all mandate that takes this choice away from millions of Americans. It's a bad deal for workers, it's a bad deal for families, and it's a bad deal for the future of innovation and opportunity in this country. But it's a great deal for the robots that will replace these independent contractors. And a great deal for Uber riders since robot DJs have way sicker beats. A big problem with the PRO Act is how the American workforce has changed in the last few decades. According to Upwork, 
59 million Americans, that's 36% of our total workforce, are freelancing. And the Bureau of Labor says that 79% of independent contractors prefer to retain their independent status over being employees. Only around 10% of wage and salary workers belong to unions in 2020. So the PRO Act would help people who currently do this type of work as freelancers, but want their company to hire them as full-time employees. But it will present a big challenge for Americans who do this type of work and want the freedom to do it in their own way. Huh. Who would have thought that Americans would value independence besides, you know, everybody? Ultimately, it may be an ideological issue. If you believe people should have the freedom to choose who to work for and what hours to work and the freedom to quit gigs when they're not treated right, then the solution is less regulation, not more. But if you believe companies will generally mistreat workers unless they're stopped, then the solution is to give unions more power to negotiate on behalf of workers and require more workers to join unions. Did I mention unions like the PRO Act? In fact, they're warning Democrats to pass the PRO Act or else lose union support in the upcoming midterm elections. Well, that is good news. This isn't some ideological battle of freedom versus government regulation. It's just politics as usual. Well, personally, I think that was a very, very good exp explanation of uh, the PRO Act. Um, it also, from both sides, it, it can tell you why you might want to be part of it. It can tell you why you shouldn't. Now, some people might view it as, um, well, it was leaning towards why you shouldn't. But everything out there is leaning towards why you should and doesn't point out a lot of these points. These are important points. And like he said... And like I've said, 36% of the American workforce is the gig economy. Um, if you put away your Google search for ProAct and you search for um, gig economy growth or future of gig economy, you will see that around the world, we are all admitting that the gig economy will do nothing but grow in the future. Therefore... Um, we really do need to look at this in different ways and find different solutions than this. AB the ABC test has to be gone. We got to get rid of this thing. Um, a lot of the people who are uh, pro pro act or were pro AB five say, no, it needs to be in there. Um, but a lot of pro act pro pro act people say that AB five being in there doesn't mean that it necessarily has to affect you. Well, between right-to-work states and that, if it doesn't, then it should be taken out, okay? Because nothing should be left to, we don't really know what this says, and, and I'm talking about the people who wrote it. Uh, we don't really know what this says. We'll have to determine it case by case. That's not okay. That's not a good way to reform labor acts um, that would affect 36% or 59 million people working in the United States. That said, um, that's it for this week, guys. Next week, uh, I got some surprises for you. Um, we are Uber Lyft drivers. I'll, I'll, ta I'll tap into this a little more. Um, you know, um, 
a big a big person uh, a big podcast behind us is the gig economy podcast if you didn't listen to the year anniversary uh jason Thierry is uh who helped me really come along with podcasting and uh finding my voice was easy for me but the, all the technical and all that and uh you know uber lyft drivers has been going for five years dot com um rideshare has been going just a couple weeks over a year and so rideshare rodeo is part of uberliftdrivers.com so um and in fact rideshare will take you to uberliftdrivers.com now um we are bringing on um you know a couple other people who do uh you know, we're always going to give thanks to Jason and props to the Gig Economy podcast because he always is there to help me. He's, I mean, he's just a great guy all around. Um, and all of you should be checking out his show. It's a bi weekly show that comes out live on Wednesdays and then drops uh, that following Monday. So it drops the Monday that it's not live. I find it a lot more fun to watch Jason's stuff live, be able to comment. They actually get it in real time and will respond back. So next Wednesday, uh, not tomorrow, or yeah, not not this week, but next Wednesday um, is when you can catch the show. I I believe it's nine. Yeah, it's nine p.m. Uh, Eastern time. So uh, you know. 8 Central, uh, 7 Mountain, 6 Pacific. Uh, check it out. But also, we are bringing to the UberLiftDrivers.com family Jason Peason, or Jason Pease from uh, Idaho, who runs the YouTube channel Drive to Win 13. Um, his and my ideologies are a way of viewing things. Um, even just when we have informal discussions, we're right there on the same page. And he does a lot of what I've really never done, um, which is YouTube. Um, and he's really jolting that back up. So uh, he was, you know, he put out a video for um, the do- how to how to see DoorDash trip t- transparency uh, through with Para, a group that I do a lot of work with. Um, so. He put out a video on that, but there's all kinds of videos going back beyond way years before the pandemic, but then also um, really during the start of the pandemic um, when he pivoted from Rideshare to uh, app-based food delivery was like our fifth or sixth episode of the show, and uh, he had already done it, but he was able to walk us through it. He's got a lot of videos on how he did that and how to best optimize those, and are they timeless forever? Um a lot of them are pandemic related, but yes, they are because they, even if it's pandemic or not, you can see his explanations on why to do each. And I know there's a lot of YouTubers out there to give a try to. Um, we also, you know, we really love uh, Dustin is driving. Um, I'm sure everybody does. He gives a lot of, uh, you know, he shows a lot of uh, dash cam stuff and says, no, 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 or yes, 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 and uh, breaks down things why you can't do this, why passengers, you know, if they do this, kick them out. He's got a lot of good informational stuff up there and a lot, and he's got a great voice and, uh, um, personality and it, it really carries. So he's a fun one to listen to, but Jason, um, is right there on that same page as me. So he is now part of Uber Like to welcome him and, uh, 
we'll be he's already been on twice but we'll be having him on rideshare rodeo too um hoping to get something going with him about his travels this summer where he worked we always talk market to market but where he worked in different markets um if not a one uh episode piece maybe a little segment every week on a different city uh that he was working in doing app-based food delivery for all of the app-based food delivery platforms in that area um I think that would be interesting, and it would uh, allow a lot of you in those uh, markets to comment and also to hear over time or in one episode, whatever him and I decide, how the differences really do look from the ground. Um, but that said, uh, we'll let you go for the week. Thank you for hanging in there. Thank you for being listeners. Thank you for making all this possible. Thank you for bearing with my voice. And we will see you back here next week on the rodeo. Peace.